Two small town girls living in a big city, chasing even bigger dreams. Meet your hosts, Kylie Benami and Sophie Longford. These two high fashion models have discovered that life outside of their hometowns isn't so simple. Talking all things fashion, wellness, fitness, and all of the messy things in between. Welcome to the not so simple life. I love it. Hello, all you lovebirds. I hope you are as excited as we are for today's episode because we are getting into a brand new topic. Our guest today is relationship and sex therapist Todd Barats. Todd is a licensed psychotherapist and is well known on Instagram as at your Todd is also a fellow podcast host where he talks a lot about the mindset around love and relationships. He's here to help us understand the multi-layered complexities of our lives. His goal is to improve relationships and teach people how to have their best sex life. Let's get into it. Hey guys, if you're a newbie tuning in for the first time, welcome first and foremost. We are so happy. We are so happy. We are so happy. We fuck me. We are so happy. Are you happy? I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm Sophie and I'm hosting with Kylie. And if you've been here before, you know the deal. We're going to have a quick catch up between us. So Kylie, for everyone in, how's your morning going? It is Monday. Wow. <laughs> if you couldn't hear the Monday in Sophie's voice and you'll hear the Monday in mine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm going all over the place. Love that you're a little bit of a shit show because I am too. Like, I actually posted a positive Monday quote on our Instagram today because I'm like, you know what? Monday is about mindset. Like, I don't have to think this day sucks. Like, I just got to get into it. Like, it's a good day to get back into my passions, da da da. But Monday just came right back to slap me in the face. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's been a morning. What about you? I've been trying to focus on the positives today. And one thing that actually came into my mind that came out of this pandemic is that I've saved an absolute fortune on Uber trips. I haven't taken an Uber since February. And I've got to say, I don't miss Ubers that much either. I've had some pretty bad experiences and I'm sure you probably have too. Oh my God. Well, my bank account is still getting beat up by Uber. <laughs> Uber <laughs> really does a good job at taking my checks, but it's definitely different now because Ubers have like the glass shield in the middle and, you know, you got to wear your mask and like they're rolling down their windows even though it's freezing out because they're paranoid about getting sick rightfully so they have so many people in their cars but oh my god my uber stories sophie i literally always tell my mom that i'm gonna write a book someday about my experiences in the back of an uber I'll tell you about one of the worst Uber trips I've ever had, and it almost resulted in me getting kidnapped. So it was pretty scary. I was in Geneva, and we'd been out pretty late. We'd had quite a few drinks, and I think it was like 6 a.m. when we decided to call it a night. So I called an Uber to take me back to my hotel. Some night. It was some night. And I got in. Everything was fine. He spoke English, and he said hi, etc. But he obviously noticed that I was pretty drunk, and he thought I wouldn't notice him going the complete opposite direction to my hotel. I noticed straight away. He started driving off a complete random direction, and I got nervous and I looked at my Uber map and he was taking me somewhere completely different, not following the route at all. And this is when I freaked out and I said to him, sir, you're going the wrong way. And he completely ignored me. 
So I started getting annoyed and saying, like, oh excuse God. me, my, my hotel's that way. Where are you going? And he just continued to ignore me. And then after I started getting really upset, he goes, I don't speak English, which was complete bullshit because he spoke perfect English when I got in the car. And then I jumped out as soon as he slowed down at a traffic light and I just liked it. So, yeah, that was fucking crazy. Oh but God. what I learned from that was always have your map open so you can keep an eye on exactly where you're going because you never know. And Geneva is a really safe place. So it just shows there's dodgy people everywhere. Yeah, I always pay attention to because Uber drivers are not always used to the city they're driving in so they just take the long way because they don't know and so like regardless of the kidnapping thing like you have to stay on them but oh my god i mean i've been pulled over in an uber i have been in a fender bender we rear-ended someone i have dealt with a driver who had major road rage drivers who just don't have shame and just like really let it rip in the car while I'm in there and just act like nothing's happened. I mean, there's only two of us. It's just you and I. And I know I didn't do that. So obviously (laughs) we both know, you and me, we both know who did that. And I'm going to roll my window down and that's going to be super awkward. Um, I mean, in Texas, they literally talk your ear off. In New York, like everyone's quiet. In Texas, they're like, tell me your life story. Where were you born? What's your mom's name? It's like, whoa welcome back welcome back to the south where everyone is just about as friendly as it gets when you take it as much as i do and you live in a city like new york where you have so many crazies you're gonna deal with so many crazy experiences yeah mine always happen at night though that's when everything gets weird i remember in london i came out of a club and i was going home with my sister and the uber driver let some random guy get in the front seat i was like who is this guy I was like, we don't know him. I was like, can you get him out? And he just completely ignored us and kept driving. He doesn't even go here. <laughs> he doesn't even go here. And I was like, can you get this dude out of the car? I was like, we don't know who the fuck he is. And he wouldn't get out. And the Uber driver was just completely ignoring us. And there was a whole commotion. Shit went mm. down. <laughs> well, there's our Uber rant. So today we are having Todd Baratz come on. And I found a little fact online that I feel like is good for me to bring up before this episode because I want to talk about this. So John Mayer has supposedly had sex with 500 women. 500. I mean, he's a big deal. And like, sure, he's living his life. Do we congratulate him or? How is that possible? I don't know. My jaw's on the floor. Like, how is that possible? Did he admit to this or is it just like speculation? Yeah, there's so many articles. He's totally admitted to it. And how old is he? He seems like mid 30s, maybe. But then he's also had a thruple, which I had to look this up and confirm it was what I thought it was. It's a couple with three people a thruple a threesome not a threesome a thruple a couple they're in a relationship all three of them (laughs) literally like the three of them have a full functioning relationship wow but they were both reality tv stars i don't remember the name but i'm like that just sounds like a whole lot of drama and that sounds like something i have absolutely zero interest in don't knock it till you try kylie (laughs) yeah i'm good i'm good (laughs) i'm sure we'll get Todd to touch base on this topic when he gets on here so i say we get this episode going Let's do it. Hey, Todd. Thanks so much for coming on and joining us today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, we have a lot of very exciting topics to cover. And do you want to start off by introducing yourself and giving us and the listeners a quick backstory as to how you found yourself in this line of work around sex and relationship therapy? Sure. So I am a sex and relationship therapist, and that means that I see individuals and couples for ongoing therapy. So people always ask me, well, so people are only coming in to see you about sex or relationships? And the answer is yes, but 
also our whole life is basically just like relationships. I see people for a, a wide variety of, of different issues. Nice. Well, before we get into full on relationships, do you want to tell us the importance of just knowing your self-worth and how important that is and how much it plays into relationships? Well, so self-worth can mean a whole variety of things for people, but I guess I'll start with knowing yourself. The more self-aware we are, the better we are able to show up in our relationships for our partners, for our friends, for the stranger on the street that may need help, etc. Because that means we have better access to the things that we want. And then I often frame that as being very much so tied to self-worth, being able to pursue what it is that we want, feeling deserving of the ability to ask for things from our partners or friends or family members, etc. What are some of the key signs of low self-worth? I guess in relationships, it's so easy to pick up on certain behaviors that may look like certain things like low self-worth, but sometimes it could just be, I'm having a bad day and I don't feel like dealing with this. <laughs> you know, So like, you may not want to say something to that person, partner, or friend that's pissed you off. And maybe that's connected to self-worth, but maybe you're just constipated. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so like, <laughs> right. sometimes we can overread into some behaviors. And sometimes that's accurate. And sometimes it's not. I do think that oftentimes, if when we find ourselves in relationships, intimate relationships, where we are constantly negotiating intimacy. Um, so like, if you have a partner, that is constantly trying to spend time away from you and isn't able to commit to you and you're constantly pursuing and pursuing pursuing and they're constantly retreating and you're not getting much from them this kind of like neglect dynamic i think that's a reflection of some kind of self-worth for both people you know both unable to participate in intimacy in a way that feels fulfilling so i think that that's connected to self-worth like desire. Desire is linked to self-worth. Yeah, desire, a lot of avoidance of sex. You know, I think that can be an expression of self-worth or low self-worth or shame, you know, not pursuing the things that we find interesting or stimulating. Well, while on the topic of self, let's talk about self-masturbation because there's a lot of shame around the subject. But where do you think this shame has come from and why are people so embarrassed to talk about it? Yeah, I think people are generally, well, all of us, first of all, have some level of shame about sex in general, whether that's solo sex or partnered sex. There is a certain level of shame that we all have. And again, it's not this conscious, I feel so ashamed of myself. Sometimes it is. For sure, some people, after they've masturbated, report feeling shame or like they did something bad or they shouldn't have or they're gross or whatever. So sometimes it is conscious, but other times it's unconscious. But at some point along the way, all of us have learned that sex is bad. We shouldn't touch our bodies. Don't touch yourself there in front of other people. Do it alone. Don't talk about it. Don't watch R-rated movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we get these sex negative messages from day one. Um, it's I, it's rare when I hear somebody talk about their parents introducing masturbation and talking about sex as pleasure related and not for procreation, blah, blah, blah. So sexual shame, whether about masturbation or partnered sex or kink or whatever, that's learned. And so most of us learn this from our parents. It gets reinforced then at school and then it gets further reinforced you know, when we get older and we go out and we do whatever it is that we're doing with our friends, no one talks about it, etc. So each environment we participate in reinforces this learned shame. And it's usually not until like early 20s, mid 20s, sometimes late 30s, early 30s, that people really start unpacking some of that shame and really feeling more sexually liberated and free and comfortable. But it's not an automatic process unless you're intentionally trying to do that. I and mean, oftentimes it's because somebody gets into a relationship and they finally feel safe enough to do some of that sexploration stuff. 
now things are much different than they were even just like five years ago. Like now there's memes about sex <laughs> and like desire and like kink even. Whereas like five years ago, 10 years ago, that wasn't a thing. So I'm saying that a lot of younger people are making their way through that learning process much earlier. Also, because I think some parents are more well equipped to it because they're also seeing this sex positive information. Whereas I like talk to my mom who's 75 and she like, I don't know, just like laughs if I ever say anything sex related and she's just desperately uncomfortable because she grew up in a time in the 40s where that was just like not a topic of conversation. I talked to my mom about it too. Yeah, what did she say? She's all for it. She's great. And I actually just did a girl's trip with my mom and then two really good friends from home and their mom. And I think I was talking about like vibrators with my mom and my friends were like, they like clammed up and then their mom was like, they won't talk to me about stuff like this. I don't know why. They think it's weird. They just won't. Like, I know stuff is going on, but they just won't talk about it. And I was like, oh, no, me and my mom, like, it's a great conversation. It's a good person to have it with. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, these are the people that you actually want to be talking about sex with. They're the people you feel most comfortable with. But that's great that your mom is so open like that. She's also, I mean, 50 is pretty young. Um, so I'd imagine, like what I was saying, is that, you know, she's probably has better access to some of this sex positive information. Right. Would you say that's true? Yeah, like you said, it's just become like more normal in our society. Like even movies and stuff, you know, like I feel like people are slowly but surely starting to talk more. But what is the importance of self-masturbation like so many people either won't do it or they're in a relationship and maybe their partner shames them or they're embarrassed of themselves even like what's the importance of doing this well masturbation is very important <laughs> whether you're single or alone because it's basically like the manual to your body pleasure you know if you don't know how to give yourself pleasure then it's going to be really hard to communicate to your partners how you want to receive pleasure so it's really important to do that it's also empowering it's also a way to feel connected to your body in a positive way people that have issues with their bodies which many people do this is one way that they can really derive a sense of pleasure from their bodies where they're not thinking about their weight or their appearance, etc. So it's really freeing and empowering in that sense. But in terms of partnered sex, it's pretty crucial. Um, and so if we know how to get there, that's really important. Then we can tell our partners. What is your opinion on it in relationships? Because I know some people are really uncomfortable about their boyfriends or their girlfriends watching porn and knowing that their partner's masturbating while they're in a relationship. I think just as many people feel uncomfortable as they do comfortable. So I, at least that I see in my practice work. So some relationships, they're like, I don't, I hate the fact that my partner masturbates, jerks off, watches porn, etc. Um, and other people are like, yeah, I don't want to deal with it. Like, please go, go jerk off. Like I'm not in the mood. And again, that comes down to like where we learn about masturbation and partnered sex and where we learn about porn and the meaning that we apply to some of that. If somebody's uncomfortable with their partner masturbating, they're going to want to explore what that is about. Because like I was saying, masturbation is a part of sexual health. So it's also important with partnered sex too. So just like we want our partners to go and like have fun by themselves with their friends, it's no different. So, you know, if I was to say, I don't want my partner to go have fun by themselves running or something that they like to do. Why? You know, I would never say that. But because it's sex, people have all sorts of different rules and expectations about the way their partner expresses themselves sexually. So you're really going to want to look behind some of those values and the value systems that inform that belief that my partner shouldn't be masturbating or they shouldn't be watching porn, etc. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more as well. And people just need to like be open about it and get it off their chest if it's bothering them. But how powerful can sex and masturbation be for anxiety and stress relief? This is something that people just don't usually talk about, like on Instagram, social media, etc. Like self care is just shoved down your throat. There's a million self care posts about like, 
like light a candle, drink tea, which is like great, do all those stuff. But um, also sex and masturbation is really an important part of self-care because it's relaxing, it's pleasurable. Hopefully you can just check out and be in your body and just feel some good stuff. There's also a range of different chemicals and endorphins that are released in our bodies that just naturally make us feel relaxed when we masturbate and have sex. Pleasure in general, whether it's sexual or non-sexual, is a huge part of how we cope with life in general. Yeah, and I think it's always good to mix things up. If you always go for a walk whenever you're stressed or you always meditate, like, I don't know, that can get kind of repetitive. I think it's good to mix it up. Maybe you meditate one day, maybe you have sex the next. I don't know. I think it's important to just explore different ways of releasing any energy in our bodies. So I'm glad that you also agree with that. But I want to get into relationships. So what are some of the most important qualities in a healthy relationship? I mean, I think that flexibility and curiosity is really important. Curiosity in terms of who we are and who our partners are, so we can better understand ourselves and them. Um, So flexibility, awareness, availability, I have a lot of single clients. I'm single myself, and it's interesting to see just how many people actually aren't available or willing to show up. So that's a really important piece. So many people go to these other parts about like income and way people look and the way people talk and like aesthetic attraction based things, which are for sure important. Like I I think attraction is important. But when we're talking about long term relationship satisfaction, those things are really secondary. We're really talking about do I have fun with this person? Do I like being with them? Can I envision building a life with them? However long that life may last? Are they flexible? Are they agreeable? And can they cooperate? When thinking about healthy relationships, I think we have to just think about what's a satisfying relationship. What's a relationship that's good enough? But what about independence? How important is independence? Because in my relationship, it's very important. I don't know if that's how all relationships are, though. I think independence is really important in terms of being able to differentiate from your partner. So you can have a sense of self and a self-definition that is separate from them, which then gives you permission to say, no, I want something different from you and that's still okay and I still love you and you still love me and we can be separate but different. But then also it's really important to be able to say, okay, fine, I don't want to do that and I really want to go out, but I know you want me to stay in with you and I'm going to do that because I love you. And so that's also really important too. So to me, it's more of a balance and both are really important parts, independence and dependence of having that sense of balance. I love that. I totally agree. And there's a quote you said that I love. You said once that, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? So how can people break this habit of always trying to be right? Well, it's a tough one because I think most people want to be right. (laughs) We don't want to be wrong, especially when it feels like we're right, because I think most of us feel like we're right and people are just wrong, especially when it comes to our partners wronging us. And that's totally fine. I mean, we all go throughout the world seeing through our eyes and believing that that's the truth. And it it is for us, but oftentimes it's different for other people. And so when you get into a conflict with a partner about my ex, he paint, I mean, this is dumb, but he like painted the wall a color and I was like, this is a terrible blue. And he's like, this is gray. And I'm like, no, this is for sure not gray. You know, I could have fought with him about that, but ultimately I'm trying to like lead a life that's easy and be in a relationship that's not full of conflict. So it's like, I can either continue this argument about color, which has no bearing on my life or satisfaction, or I can just say, yeah, sure, whatever you want and just let it go. Right. I always say with my boyfriend and I, it's like our arguments are not resolved until both of us come to the clarity that one person was right or wrong. And so annoying because when you're on one side, when you're the person trying to be right, it's like, no, I'm going to hold this conversation until it's done. Like I'm going to stand my ground. But then when you're on the other side of it, 
it's so frustrating. I loved this quote so much when I saw it because it's like, or do you want to be in a relationship? Because there's got to be that spot where you give or else, you know, you're just going to have like this really toxic back and forth thing all the time. But that kind of leads me to my next question. How toxic can expectations be in a relationship? I know we should all have certain expectations, of course, but I think there's a healthy amount and then like a toxic amount. Could you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I do write a lot about expectations because it seems like, especially on social media, it's been really popularized to really expect too much. Mm -hmm. um, and I see that one of the biggest problems, especially the clients that I see and, and people that I know is that they either think they deserve too much or they deserve too little. And it's really connected to a lot of these expectations as well. So in terms of just like expectations that I think all of us should have are, you know, I will, will not tolerate abuse, emotional, physical abuse. I, you know, really do expect to be treated with kindness and compassion and empathy. And, and some, I think, expectations around time spent together and time spent apart can be really helpful too. But then after that, I kind of think that everything else is a bit bullshitty. Like I expect my partner to always blank. I expect that my partner should always understand me. Like that's not going to happen. So there's so many unrealistic expectations. One that I see that people really don't like is the expectation that, that our, we should be loved by our partners unconditionally, which is, you know, just false. If we act like an asshole, you know, our partners may leave us if we don't stop acting like assholes. The more pressure we put on our relationships with these expectations, the more likely we're going to experience resentment and be pissed off and have conflict, etc. I think one of the most important things when it comes to relationships is trust. And when trust has been broken in a relationship and say one of them has cheated or they've lied about something that's really upset the other person, is there any coming back from that? And when trust has gone, can a relationship still survive? Trust is a hard one because it can feel like such a wound, like especially with infidelity. If somebody cheats on you, it can really feel like they've just stabbed you. And that's not to say that they haven't metaphorically. But yes, I mean, I see couples all the time where there's some kind of infidelity or breach of trust or betrayal. And there's a road to recovery there. You know, it really does require both people to be really honest with themselves and each other. And so the first thing that I look for is some kind of remorse. So does the person that hurt or betrayed the other person, like, are they sorry about it? Because I've seen people where they're like, yeah, but it's their fault. They drove me to do it, blah, 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 that kind of shit. And that's just like, that's not going to fly. That's not a good sign. Like if someone doesn't understand that they hurt their partner or have empathy that they've hurt their partner or that the partner's hurting or whatever, you know, not a good sign. So you really want someone who's, you know, not crying and saying, I feel terrible. I feel awful. These, there were reasons that drove me to do whatever I did, but I also like, I hate the fact that I've done this and I hurt them, etc. So this kind of both and, you know, I recognize that I did something I agreed I wouldn't do. And I think also not living a denial and saying, you know, I'll never betray you again. Like, of course, it could happen. It's happened in the past. It likely will. And that counts for both people. So the person that was betrayed or cheated on or whatever, and the person that did it too, because, you know, I, I'm not going to say, well, your partner will never cheat on you ever again. You know, it could happen. And so, you know, monogamy is not easy for everybody on top of whatever relational dynamics allowed for some of infidelities or betrayals to happen. Anyway, yes, it's possible, but there's just certain things that you want to look for and also be ready to do some of that work. And the other part is also forgiveness. You know, I see people that they've spent a lot of time working through infidelities or betrayal, but they just can't forgive their partner. And they spend years dragging their partner through the coals, shaming them in every stance. Every time something comes up, that same betrayal comes up again. They're flooded with anxiety and panic. So that's also a part of the conversation is, you know, can forgiveness happen? Can you forgive your partner? 
So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, so my mom has always told me you can't change people. And I've always believed that when someone shows you their true colors, like you have to believe them. You have to not be in denial and see what you're seeing and process that. So I want to know what you think about changing people and like what happens in a relationship, whether that's your significant other, your friendship, family, anything? What happens when people try to change the other person in the relationship? Well, it depends. You know, I think the idea is you want to change and grow together or are you trying to like literally change somebody? Like someone is doing something wrong or there's something about this person that you hate or it's hurting you over and over again and you're convinced like you can change them, you can get past this, they will change. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I see people change all the time, but depending on what the specific change is, that's another story. So like if we're wanting our partners to change, I don't know if they're messy, you know, they may not change. Like you can tell them to change or you can accept that they're just a messy person. You know, it really just depends on what it is. Like, do you want your partner to change from becoming somebody who is internal and not really emotional and doesn't share their emotions to somebody who's externalizing their emotions all the time and highly emotional and verbal and communicative you know that could happen but it that takes a really long time but expecting somebody to change without you also changing is you know that's not going to happen so like the messiness they might try to clean up more but you might also have to tolerate the fact that they're just messy what are some of the warning signs in a relationship that things are maybe going toxic or just aren't working anymore when you stop sharing things with your partner like basic things like you know they ask how's your day and you something happened and you're like it was fine and you start disconnecting emotionally like that that's usually not a good sign so you know when you look at your behaviors if you're taking behaviors that are metaphorically distancing so like withholding not sharing seeing other people you know usually that's a sign that something's up with our level of commitment, our feelings for our partners, whatever love we may or may not have. I mean, obviously abuse is just a no, it's a hard pass. Big no. Yeah, so that's a really big sign. Like a lot of people are in relationships with high conflict and I'm not like advocating to be in a high conflict relationship, but some people are and they make up and they're fine with it, you know? And it's also very cultural. Um, so that sometimes a lack of sex, but that could be a variety of different things. But if you don't have attraction to your partner, that's a problem. Because sometimes you lose attraction, you're with somebody for a while, and you're no longer attracted to them. That's different from you're not you don't have desire for them. So that's an issue if you're in a sexual relationship. Well, on the note of sex, I just want to know what you think about makeup sex, because it's not my thing. It's never been my thing. Like after I get into an argument, the last thing I want to do is like, get all cozied up together and like I have to process overnight I can like end an argument and I can move on with my day and like stop being in a bad headspace I guess like I don't show my emotions as much but I need like the night to like brush it off sleep I always say like I wake up the next day and if I'm not over something then it's a problem because I'm I don't hold grudges so makeup sex the whole thing is just a foreign idea to me <laughs> and I want to know what you think about it I'm an advocate for it <laughs> oh I I can't. I'm like, okay, look, I'm glad we're in a good place. Like, I'm glad we talked about that. But the last thing I want to do is like, then start touching one another. Like, I, I need some space for a minute. Well, yeah, I mean, so like both of you are saying one of you is for one of you is against. I mean, there's no right thing. I mean, if you don't want to be touched after you've gotten to an argument, that's totally fine. Tell your partner, be like tomorrow morning, but don't touch me until then. <laughs> or, you know, after you fight and you like makeup sex, and that makes you feel connected again, and then do that. You know, I, I don't I'm not for or against, you know, it's whatever you want. 
I guess it's just a personality thing, huh? How quickly someone can let go of something or not let go of something. I feel like it speeds up the process. Yeah, I mean, sex is a way to connect with somebody and to reconnect and to repair, just like a hug or laughing or whatever, depending on how intense the conflict was. It's a personal preference, you know? Have you had makeup sex before and just been like, this is the worst or? Honestly, no, because I just know that like... Or at least in the relationship I'm in now, we've been in a relationship for a long time. And I always say he's got a light switch. Once he's over it, like, turn the light on. He's good. He's back. All right. What do you want to do? What show do you want to watch? Want to go for a walk? Like, and for me, I'm just kind of like, whoa. So I think maybe just because we're so polar opposite in that way, like, I could maybe handle like a slow progression of getting there. Gotta get that endorphin release, girl. I'd rather go for a sprint. (laughs) Go for a sprint. I mean, but so like what you're saying, it's a really intense place for you and it's a stressful place. So your body is stressed out. And usually when our bodies are like stressed, it's not a time for we're like, oh yeah, I'm really hot right now. Touch me. (laughs) You know, we're stressed. So I would actually encourage you to go for a run or Mm -hmm. like to take a shower or to do something to release that stress if you're too stressed to have sex. Well, what can someone do to spice up their dating life and develop a more confident, erotic identity? Well, I mean, masturbate. Dating's really hard. I don't know. Especially now. Yeah, I was in a relationship for a very long time. And it's like the first time being single as an adult. And it's like really fucking hard, especially like having sex. I was like, oh, it's just going to be great. I'm going to like finally be able to have sex with other people. And it's like not so great. So it's really hard, especially, you know, if you've been in relationships and express yourself sexually in the context of relationship, it's really hard to then just like go and start having sex with people that you don't feel fully comfortable with or that you don't know. How long was your last relationship, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, yeah, it was 10 years. Um, So it was like all of my 20s. Right. So for me, it was just hard to then all of a sudden become like sexual or even emotionally vulnerable, which I was not expecting. So say someone's like a bit frigid or a bit like shy and they don't want to express themselves. Like, What can they do to like come out of their shell a bit more and be a bit more experimental? You're going to want to explore your sexuality by yourself first a little bit and figure out what it is that you like. I mean, you can watch porn, you can fantasize, you can make lists about things that you want to try. So you're going to want to be comfortable with your body and your own sexuality first. And then it really just depends on your level of comfort and safety with having sex with people that you're dating or people that you just met. For some people, that's easy to do. For other people, it's just really hard. So, you know, in terms of spicing up and being more erotic, I think that's, you know, one, an inside job first, and then it becomes an outside job with other people. It's interesting because I think for queer people, the conversations about sex, especially gay guys, start right from the beginning. Whereas a lot of straight couples who don't talk about sex until like six months into the relationship. So you're going to want to talk about sex with your partners, whether you're in a relationship that's monogamous, non-monogamous, or you just met them right off the bat if your intention is to have sex with them. So that's what you like. What are you into? So where you really do put yourself out there sexually. And if someone's been in a relationship for a very long time and they feel like it's getting a bit boring and the sex isn't as exciting anymore, do you have any tips for those people who want to spice it up a bit in their long-term relationships? Yeah. Well, I mean, first thing is that when you're in a long-term relationship, desire just will inevitably decline. You're not going to always want to fuck your partner after you've been with them for years or if you live with them. They're going to piss you off. They're going to do something that you're like, oh, go away. Or things are just going to feel complacent. So when I see a couple or individual they're like freaked out that they don't have desire for their partner. And it's very normal, etc. So in terms of what to do, though, you know, well, what is it that you want? What type of sex do you want to be having? And then you're going to want to start talking about that with your partner. 
And then you're going to want to start putting an intentional effort to get towards wherever it is that you want to be going sexually with them. So like at the beginning of a relationship, you usually shower, you may put on like clothes and makeup and perfume or your favorite outfit and you pick a spot and you go on a date. So you put a lot of time into spending time with this person. Whereas when you're in one, two, three, four, five plus years relationships, you live together, you wake up, you're going to want to start putting in the same effort and planning. So that can help things like sexting can help things like buying outfits can help trying new things. And there are a ton of apps that you can go on with your partner where it's like a Tinder swipey situation, but more about like kinks. So where you both partners have the app and it's like, I want to be slapped. I want to be talked dirty to. And you'll either swipe right or left. And if you match, then then you try it. No, I never heard of this. One is X confessions and the other is own your sex. Or you can just make lists and be like, these are things we've never done. Let's try that. Well, I think one of our last few questions that is so important in these modern times is boundaries on social media. How do you feel about people who have photos of their ex on their page or still follow their ex? I want to get your thoughts on how people handle exes on social media. It depends on the person. I don't know. Like I'm still friends with my ex. We were together for a very long time. I'm going to cut them out of my life. You know, I think that if you've spent a certain amount of time with somebody and you've shared your deepest, darkest secrets and you had a life with them, it's a human relationship. So if you want to have pictures of them on your social media, go for it. I know that some people are like, oh, it's problematic. They're still following their ex or they should, there's still a picture of their ex on their timeline or whatever. And I wouldn't be too quick to make judgments about somebody's past relationships or the presence on their social media. And quickly before we wrap it up, what about likes? Because I know a lot of people who would get really pissed off if their partner is liking other pictures of other girls or other guys. What is your take on it? And do you think it's maybe over the top to get upset about something like that? I mean, I can understand how people would get upset about it. But you know, the other I mean, sometimes I like posts, I'm, I'm like on social media, I'm not even paying attention to what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm just like double clicking things. I'm not thinking about it. It's no reflection of anything. It's like robotic, you're not even conscious yeah. when you're doing it. And it's not like a reflection of how I'm feeling about other people in my life. I'm just literally like, oh, they look good. It doesn't necessarily mean that people shouldn't be upset or they wouldn't be. I, you know, it, it goes both ways. If someone is like only following like thirst trappy people and are spending their entire day on Instagram, just like scrolling through like half naked people and be like, what's going on there? I wouldn't say that's problematic or like a relationship killer. But I think we have to think about thoughts, feelings, etc. that inform some of these things behaviors of liking or being mad at your partner for liking as opposed to the behavior itself. Does that make sense? I also feel like my boyfriend, he doesn't have social media, meaning he doesn't post. He has some random name, but he has it still downloaded that he can like search things up certain times just where he wants to go on there and look up something. And sometimes he'll show me a photo of like another girl or another model and be like, do you know this girl? And I feel like the few times that I've been like, well, why are you looking at somebody else? Like what's going on? Like it never goes well. And I actually feel like shit about myself after. Whereas the times where I'm like, oh yeah, I know her. I think she's so pretty. Like she's gorgeous. He gravitates towards me when I act like that. Like he enjoys that I'm confident enough in our relationship and myself that he can look around. Yeah, I think she's gorgeous. Anytime that I actually react which I've learned not to, it never goes well. I feel like if you have trust in your relationship and you can be confident in yourself, I feel like it, those situations always go better. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the other thing, like I was saying is, you know, we don't want to live in denial thinking that our partner is never going to look at 
somebody on the street and think they're attractive. We all do it. And it, you know, most of the time means absolutely nothing. So just like we can go in a store and look at something and be like, that's a really nice bag or shirt. And it really has no bearing on anything. You know, we can appreciate things without it meaning, you know, a major betrayal, but it's just, it's complicated. You know, sometimes we think things and get jealous and we don't want to, and that's okay too. So true. All right, Todd, well, do you want to let everyone know all your social media handles and maybe if you have a website, what that is and anything along those lines so everyone knows where to find you? Yep, you can find me on Instagram at Your Diagnonsense or my website, which is my name, toddsbarretts.com. That's where you can find me. Well, thank you so much, Todd, and we hope you have a good one and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. All right, all right, all right. I hope you guys loved that conversation with Todd. But now we are getting into the question answer segment. We chose two questions from our Instagram this week, and Sophie and I are here to answer them. The first question we got, what is your love language? So my love language is words of affirmation, which I do appreciate words of affirmation, but then I also don't like that I got this. I don't know if I'm reading too far into it, but I'm like, does that mean I need people to like tell me I'm great and like tell me I'm special and tell me I'm smart? Like, do I not think those things myself? But I do. So I think I'm just looking too far into it. But that is my love language. So words of affirmation. Tell me what I need to hear. <laughs> well, I didn't even know what a love language was until this question got sent in. And then I went and did the quiz. And apparently mine is receiving gifts. And to be honest, it's true. Even if I get given like a little chocolate bar, I'm just like, oh my God, you're the cutest person ever. I'm like, you thought about me? <laughs> Again, I thought maybe it's calling me materialistic, but the description that she said, not to be mistaken with materialism, it shows me that someone was thinking about me, cared for me, and that I was prized above whatever sacrifice was made to bring the gift to you. I thought that was cute. Mm. You guys all need to find out what your love language is. You can just search like love language quiz on Google or something. All right. The second question we'll have is, who is your celebrity crush? This one was easy. My biggest crush was Piers Brosman. And I literally had a crush on him when I was like 11 years old. How weird is that? I would tell my mom, <laughs> mom, I fancy James Bond. And I was so happy. I met him at the Ralph Lauren show that I did. And he gave me a hug. And that was a moment that will be treasured for a long time. I wish I could meet my celebrity crush. Mine is Chris Hemsworth. I am so obsessed. I think he's so hot. I think he's so funny. He always posts like stupid, ridiculous videos on his Instagram. I think he's an amazing actor. And I think their family's just perfect. Like his wife is hot, even though I wish I was her. <laughs> She's hot. He's hot. Their kids are adorable. They live in Australia, which I love. So Chris Hemsworth, that is my crush. It's funny you say that. I literally sent a video to my sister on Instagram of Chris yesterday when he was doing some stupid golf dance. I was like, what the fuck is this? I love He's the stupid so dancing. goofy. So good. Well, guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope you loved it just as much as we did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to come over to our Instagram page. We are on there at the Not So Simple Life podcast. We'll be waiting there for you. And we will see you guys next week with our brand new episode. Okay.